0: Today is Giving Tuesday, a global day of giving, and it's also the first day of ESPN's V-Week. We can all be a part of something big today by supporting cancer research, which is needed now more than ever. If you're able, give now at v.org slash donate, v.org slash donate. 100% of what you give goes directly to cancer research. Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top rated sports book app. On today's podcast, we'll be joined by the former head coach of the Detroit Lions, Jim Codwell, who soon will be a man in demand as he is expected to make the rounds in the interview circuit for a head coaching job. And then we'll have my friend, ESPN analytics guru Evan Kaplan join us to break down some of the great matchups in week 13, including Patrick Mahomes under the lights against the Denver Broncos and Derek Henry and Nick Chubb squaring off this weekend. But what a week last week was. In fact, last week is still this week because we're waiting to see if the Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens actually will wind up playing on Wednesday afternoon, as we tape this podcast on Tuesday morning. It's part of the oddities of the week that was, I think, the strangest NFL week of the season, which really began, I think, with all the changes in the Pittsburgh-Baltimore game and then the Denver Broncos game, where the Broncos had an entire quarterback room wiped out due to the virus. And when the Broncos had to turn to Kendall Hinton, A practice squad wide receiver to start an NFL game at quarterback. My first thought went back to February 2020 when a Toronto Zamboni driver, David Ayers, made his NHL debut as a goalie, as a 42 year old guy stepping in to an emergency situation after two goalies got injured in the game between Carolina and Toronto. Ayers comes in and helps Carolina win. Now, Hinton didn't have the same success. And I don't think it's surprising. When I was speaking to some people over the weekend after the Broncos found out Saturday that he was going to be starting, I had one coach tell me, the Broncos will not have 100 yards in this game. And that was how inept the offense looked. Now, Hinton deserves all the respect in the world. The guy got the most difficult assignment That anybody could ever get stepping into a role he hadn't practiced for at a position at the NFL level. He's never played against one of the toughest defenses in the league on short notice. And so, before we go on to the other topics, much respect to Kendall Hinton. And on the same day that Hinton got his first NFL start, the Detroit Lions cleaned house. Now, this was not surprising that they fired Matt Patricia and fired. The general manager, Bob Quinn. But what was surprising about it was that it came on a Saturday. I don't remember the last time an NFL team cleaned house on a Saturday. And after watching the Lions on Thanksgiving, everybody could sense that was coming. But you would have thought it would come either after the game or the next morning or after the season ended. But Saturday, here it comes on a day where the league is conducting more tests with the Baltimore Ravens on their outbreak when the Broncos had their quarterback room wiped out. And that basically started a week in which, on Sunday after the game, the Jaguars fired their general manager, Dave Cobwell. So we've now seen the Texans, Falcons, Lions, and Jaguars fire their general managers this season before. The calendar even hit December. And so there are many people around the league I spoke to who thought, well, this is the season of COVID. And because of COVID, owners are going to be more understanding and sympathetic and have longer leashes for general managers and head coaches. And I think what we've seen already is that's not true. Just not true. They're going to be as ruthless and as lethal as they feel they need to be to get their franchises in order. Four general managers fired before December. And I know the fan bases reveled in that. The people in Detroit were happy that they cleaned house. The people in Jacksonville were happy to see that change. Same in Houston, same in Atlanta. And that's fine from the fans' perspective, but I will just say, these are good men, great men, great men. And it's difficult to see anybody let go, particularly people that you know on a professional and personal level. And it happens every year. It's no less shocking when it does happen. And so when these firings come at the holiday time, after Thanksgiving, before Christmas, after Christmas, at the New Year, again, fans love it. I hate it. Because each time it happens, somebody's lost their job families are displaced. Children have to ask their mom and dad why we have to move, what happened here. And I know they get paid a lot of money and they get a lot of notoriety and success, all that. Okay. It doesn't change the fact that firing is a miserable process for anybody, particularly in areas where these people have been questioned and criticized. And I know that in talking to some Friends of these people over the weekend who had spoken to these particular individuals. One person said from one individual that got fired, he sensed a sense of relief. And that's what it comes to after a while, because there's so much criticism and so much noise made about their jobs that it affects their families. It affects them. And that inevitably, when the plug is pulled in the end, that's what it is. It becomes a relief for them. It becomes a joyous occasion for the fans and it becomes something that I think a lot of people don't think about in a human way, which perhaps the next time there is a firing and there will be, people should think about it a little bit more in that sense. All right, before we get to another man who was once fired twice, Jim Cobble, the former head coach of the Detroit Lions. First, how does a 25-year-old two-time MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Get drafted 15th overall in a week draft class. Adrian Wojnarowski investigates the twists and turns that led to a franchise and league altering selection in 2013. A three part series that tells this unique story, including interviews with individuals close to the process, as well as a one on one sit down with Giannis himself. Check out the WOJ Pod special, the Giannis Draft, wherever you find your podcasts. And now, the former head coach. BetterHelp H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam
1: Two guys drove to work Neither guy wore a seatbelt One guy got a ticket One guy didn't The same two guys drove home One guy wore a seatbelt One guy didn't One guy made it home The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't don't risk it. Click it or tick it. Paid for by NHTSA.
0: Jim! How are you? Long time no speak. It's been a little while.
2: It has been a little while. How are you doing? You know what? Uh, I can't complain a bit. Things are, are going well. I'm feeling good and uh, been able to, my family's been healthy and safe thus far. Even, even uh, both sets of parents, my wife's and mine. So we're, we're certainly thrilled about that. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Now, the last the public heard from you, Jim,
0: was shortly after the 2018 season. It's almost two full years now, which is amazing. The Detroit Lions let you go. And since then, you went to go work for the Miami Dolphins as their assistant head coach. And then you took leave for a little while. And basically, we have not heard from you at all in the last two years. So what have you been doing?
2: Well, I've been pretty busy. Um, You know, obviously, uh, if you if you jump back to uh, when I was uh, fired from Detroit, um, I had a year there that uh, that took a little time off before I went to Miami, and um, you know, thankfully, I had a chance to do some consulting. So I traveled around and had an opportunity to do something you really don't get a chance to do in pro football much. Is go and see exactly how other teams do things. Um, So I was able to watching practices, OTAs, and things of that nature, and, and, uh, kind of get a real good view of how other people do things, um, perhaps differently than we did. Um, some of it, uh, were things that we felt, you know, pretty good idea other things. We just affirmed what we were doing and how we were going about it. But, but, uh, but we stayed pretty busy that year doing a lot of consulting colleges and helping some young guys in terms of mentorship programs and stuff like that. Uh, and so, yeah, I've been, been pretty busy and, uh, uh, and then I was at Miami for six months um, and before I took the leave and uh, we were able to get things straightened out without any surgery or any things of that nature. So, you know, we feel really good, feel better than i felt before in a long time, lost about 32 pounds. So I'm almost at fighting
0: weight. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Okay. Now, first of all, there is a lot there that you just covered in that last answer. What more can you tell us about that situation, Jim, and how you're feeling now?
2: So here's the thing initially, so we, you know, you go through the process of, of uh getting a physical every year so this particular year since i was down in miami i had always wanted to do um uh, the cleveland clinic sort of uh, executive physical that is probably as thorough as it gets in matter of fact martin mayhew had always talked about it when i was at detroit and he said it was a two-day process and you know i just didn't have two days to, to give up during that time period so go to cleveland that whole bit um so when i get down to miami i found out there's a cleveland clinic about 10 miles away from the office so uh, one of the first things I do is I talk to the team uh, doctors and trainers and say, hey, can you get me in? Um, so I thought I could get in rather quickly. So now nah, we can't get you in until July 1st. So in the interim, um, it, my routine has always been, and people that know me, I'm an early riser. I get up and I work out early in the morning uh, and six days a week and pretty strenuous. I mean, I, I either run a couple miles on a treadmill, walk two miles. I lift, I do all that kind of stuff, stretch. But that's you know six days a week, so I'm pretty active. So I did that all the way up until we had our team physicals, and then um, I ended up changing some medication. I've always been on a little bit of blood pressure medication, and uh, coaching does that to you. Coaching does that to you, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, every (laughs) once in a while, but um, but it's never never been really high, but just mild. So we've always kind of kept our eye on it, never gave me any problems, anything of that nature. So um, make a long story shorter. (laughs) So I ended up going to um, get my physical there, Cleveland Clinic, and they give you this calcium score. They kind of look at all your arteries and everything, and the calcium scores kind of tells you, you know, if you need to uh, monitor things a little bit more closely. Well, my calcium score was fairly high, so I ended up going to get angiogram and all this kind of stuff to kind of check and see if there's any blockage in your arteries. I had none in my arteries. Um, Most of my issues were outside of my artery walls um uh, which could be controlled with um, you know, a little bit of of um medication, but then also just change the diet and, and just needed to get a little rest for a little while so I control my own schedule. So that's really what prompted the leave. And um so nevertheless, so I, I haven't eaten any meat in almost two years. Um strictly no dairy, you know, and this is basically done on my own. They told me to watch what I eat, fish, chicken, those kinds of things, which I've always done. So I said, let me take it another step so uh hence i've lost the weight um i'm back jogging again so i'm running you know between two and four miles uh so i get my exercise in. i'm biking i'm doing all those kinds of things so um so my health is, is good uh so like i said it didn't require any surgery or anything of that nature As a matter of fact i feel better than i've ever felt
0: well it's interesting 32 pounds jim that's a lot of weight i don't know if i'd recognize you if i saw you huh
2: Oh, yeah, I still look the same, just a a
0: little bit more boyish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good, because, again, I remember that summer, all of a sudden the Dolphins made the announcement that you took leave, and I said to myself, what is that? I remember communicating with a couple of people, checking in on you. I think I sent you a text, but I never got clarity as to exactly what that was, and I figured, okay, well, we'll just leave that alone. You know, I don't want to pry or anything like that, but I'm glad to hear that surgery was not needed that you took the time that you needed a guest to get things in order. And, and again, 32 pounds less, man, that's, I, I admire that. That's impressive.
2: Yeah. Well, there's, um, you know, obviously I, I had to change my wardrobe a little bit, but fortunately I'm one <laughs> of those guys that that I, that I keep some old clothes. So I have some that I certainly fit nowadays and I have to get rid of others. So, no, it's been good. It's, you know, my the health's been good. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate and blessed in that regard. So I feel feel great. and uh, Ready to get back at it. Now, you
0: mentioned that you studied other teams while you were out. What other teams specifically did you go visit? And can you share a couple of moments during those trips that meant something to you? I remember when Mike Shanahan got fired in Denver, I went with him to a few different training camps. We went to Pittsburgh's training camp together. We went to New England's training camp together. And he would go and he would sit down with Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick and other people. And he was fascinated to see how other people operated their programs as it pertained to the way he ran his. Who were some of the people you visited with and what were some of the most important lessons you believe you took away from that, Jim?
2: Yeah, well, well, you know, one of the things, Adam, the reason why it's rare is because professional football is so much different than college football. Uh, college football, that's the norm that you go and actually visit other teams during their spring practice or winter conditioning uh, and you exchange ideas. Your staff meets with that staff. You guys talk about the different things that you're facing. You you, you you sort of go through that process and you may visit four or five teams a year, um, you know, during the during the winter. And uh, but in pros, everything is so secretive and you, you play, obviously, one another um these were teams in college that we weren't necessarily on our schedule like when i was at penn state we'd go visit florida state and go visit florida you know we, we didn't play those guys unless it was in a bowl game or something mm-hmm. of that nature right Um, But in pro football, um, it's always kind of been uh, a bit secretive in terms of individuals allowing other individuals to come into um, your your facility and find out what you're doing, take a peek behind the curtain. So I had actually had set up, I did some consulting um, in 2018. I had set up a couple of different teams that I was going to consult with, and I ended up doing one only because of the fact that they allowed me to come in and they allowed me to look at every single aspect of their organization. I sat in all of their meetings with their coaches, I offensively and defensively and in the kicking game. Uh, I was there for about a week and a half or so, and then I sort of gave them, um, you know, a write-up on what I saw, you know, et cetera, just kind of exchanging information. And ideas. It was so intimate that I said, you know what, I don't think it would be right for me to go to another team and do these other two because of the fact that I think if I, if it was me, I'd get nervous about a guy who's been, you know, that close within the walls of our organization. And he's, he's learned everything that we do in a short period of time, taking notes on them. And then he goes to another team and does the same thing. I, I feel a little funny about that. So, so I only did one team. Uh, that, that was the Minnesota Vikings that year. Um, Mike Zimmer was kind enough to allow me to come in and and uh, treated me great. Um, and it was a, a great exchange of, of information. And I enjoyed it. And one of the things that jumped out at me right away was the fact that, you know, teams that perform well, practice well. Uh, and and that, that without question, you know, his team was one of those teams that did a tremendous job in terms of how they practice, highly competitive practices. And uh, it it was a lot of fun to to see. Now, they also have one of the great facilities in the league as well. They just opened up the new building. Uh, So it was fantastic.
0: Was it strange for a former Lions head coach to be in the building of the
2: Minnesota Vikings? (laughs) <laughs> you know, there was a couple of guys uh, there that kind of, uh, you know, I, they took a double take, uh, you, you know, obviously they introduced me to the team and, the, and those kinds of things, they let them know I was going to be there, so on and so forth. But it was, uh, you yeah, know, it was funny. Uh, but but yeah, it, it was a bit different. Um, but nevertheless, you know, I, I think as competitors, we all have a lot of respect for one another. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got along great with the guys, had uh, had a great time with, with uh, you know, talking with some of the players and things of that nature. So it's like, it wasn't it's like, that strange.
0: It's like being behind enemy lines and sleeping with the enemy. But again, everyone adjusts and adapts. And the truth of the matter is coaches care about coaches, their fellow coaches, and people in the league care about people in the league. So it's one big family. But it still is odd for you to cross that barrier initially, having gone against that team as
2: the head coach of the Detroit Lions, I would think. Well, there's no doubt about it. I'll I'll tell you a a funny story. That one was one where it it was, you know, uh, it it wasn't as shocking to the system because they knew I was coming, obviously, and and Coach Zimmer had told them. But I went down to interview, um, it was actually before I got the job in Detroit, I think it was, the Tennessee Titans. And, uh, And I walk into the building, and, you know, oftentimes you go in, and uh, and you're, you're being interviewed. Not everybody knows that you're coming in particular players. So I bumped into a couple of guys guys I walked in Tennessee's facility and they kind of took a real double take. Like, what is he doing in our building? Because of all those years, you know, that we played against them uh, when I was with, with the Colts. And uh, and I could tell I got some real strange looks a couple of times during that interview <laughs> process as I walked through that building.
0: Hmm. Now, you mentioned that one of the things you also did during your time away, Jim. Uh, you served as a mentor. Who were some of the people that you
2: mentored? Yeah, I, I had a real a great opportunity. Um, Charlie Casterly has been doing this program called the Champions Forum with the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And uh, the NCAA has a, a group of 12 guys, African-American coaches, that they felt were going to be the next head coaches in college football. And, uh, so you're taking them through these different sort of, uh, programs where they got a real good sense of what's going to be required of them if they become a head coach in college. And with my eight years at Wake Forest, I had an opportunity to talk to, uh, the 12 guys that were just tremendous people. Tony Elliott, uh, you know, was amongst the, 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 the group, uh, Jasper, um, that was at, uh, the Navy. Um, uh, Sopo, uh, who at that particular time, I think he might have been at, at UCLA or just leaving UCLA, um, because I know he had Josh Rosen, etc. But yeah, there was a number of guys that just outstanding at people. I think I mentioned Tony Elliott, who's in yeah. Clemson, he's still there. Yep. Um, and he's one of those guys that I think, you know, without questions, that I'm gonna land somewhere for someone here shortly. Um, so I had a chance to kind of sit down with those guys, just walk them through an entire year. Of what it takes in terms of being a head coach in in college, and uh, and so that was fun. So that was one of those areas. The other one was, I think, what you've probably heard of, and I, and I know it's gotten some publicity of late, uh, is the quarterback summit uh, that we had down at Morehouse College. So we had a number of individuals, probably fifty or so, young bright minds that uh, had an opportunity to come in and we exchange ideas and kind of tell them what we know. And typically down there, we look at the quarterback position, quality control on offense. Mm-hmm and then also offensive coordinators, and we did a little bit on head coaches as well. Well,
0: Those people, the coaches that you mentored, Tony Elliott's been talked about as a head coaching candidate. Was there one that you could identify that you would say, boy, this guy really impressed me? I'm sure, as you mentioned, they all were impressive, but is there one that, that just made you go, wow? And also the same thing with the quarterback
2: summit. Is there a quarterback there that made you go, wow? Well, um, so uh, there, there's a couple I mean, there's all those guys are great guys. Pep Hamilton was also amongst that group, uh, in the college ranks. So that was prior to him getting the, the position with the XFL. Uh, and, you know, Pep's been offensive coordinator in the National Football League. And Pep's going to be a head coach. He's doing a great job, obviously, with Herbert out there and with the Chargers. Uh, just tremendous um, delivery, tremendous knowledge. Um, and then also, I think Tony Elliott's one of those guys. He's quiet, he's unassuming, he's extremely bright. I think he's an engineer by trade, hmm. um, but one of those individuals that um, is a rising star, but not a self promoter. Um, He's not one of those guys that's going to beat his own chest. He's not one of those guys that's going to get an agent and have him sort of throw his name all out, out across the country or anything of that nature. But but I think you're going to see him land somewhere. It could be in the NFL as a head coach or it could be in college. I think he's had several offers in college. He just has decided, you know, that, uh, that weren't the right ones for him at this particular point in time. But, But his time's coming. Hmm. Jim, I remember
0: back in, it would have been, I think, 2013 or 14, I had the honor of working with Bill Polian, who was in the Hall of Fame. And as is often the case, sometimes people you speak with in the league will ask you, oh, who has impressed you as a head coach? Who do you like as a head coach? Those sorts of things. And I remember going to Bill Polian and saying, Bill, if there's one guy in the league that you would recommend to be a head coach, who would it be? And he didn't hesitate. And he said, Jim Caldwell. And he endorsed you right away. And I remember speaking to people about that. Again, you were part of two Super Bowl winning teams over your career as the quarterbacks coach of the 2006 Colts, as the offensive coordinator of the 2012 Baltimore Ravens. But he, you made a mark on him. What would you bring to a team now that would consider you as a head coaching candidate, Jim?
2: Well, um, number one, you know, Bill has um, been very instrumental in my career. Um, it gave me my first opportunity as a head coach uh, with the Indianapolis Colts after serving on the staff for seven years with under Coach Dungey and uh, and those guys um, uh, really helped me out a tremendous amount. I mean, obviously, everybody knows Bill is one of the the, the brightest minds in all of football. It had been and and uh, still is today. If somebody would put him back to work, uh, I don't think uh, his wife would allow him to go. I think mean, would we'll let him go back, but but nevertheless, um, he, he, bright guy, and really. Um, you know, serve to, to to you know lead me down, I think, a path of, of success, just in terms of his directional leadership. But, but what I bring a team is let me let me put it this way. Um, I think leadership is um, far too underestimated in terms of directing teams, particularly in the National Football League. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that sort of get caught up with those individuals that might try to wow you in terms of what they might know in terms of knowledge of, of the game, from an offensive standpoint or a defensive standpoint. Uh, the gurus in their own right, or then labeled as such, um, but nevertheless. Uh, I think what it boils down to is you being able to to lead a team, and not everybody can do that. Uh, and I think more so than anything else, you got to live. It. You got to live. Uh, lead by example. There's a great quote that says, "Lead by example," and all else fails. Use words, and, and I believe that. Let me tell you a quick story. in talking about leadership, so I, I was down at, at Baltimore, and I was working as a quarterback coach there. Um, Cam uh, was fired um, right after the Washington Cam game. Cameron.
0: Cam it, Cameron, yeah. right.
2: Yeah. And Cam was fired, and uh, it was right after the Washington game. And so John comes in my office early next morning and says, hey, we want you to be the offensive coordinator. And I said, John, I said, I've only been here like a matter of months. I said, there's a number of guys on this staff that know the offense better than I do. And I said, I think you ought to talk to them first. I gave him a couple names. He leaves my office. He goes, I think he talks to those guys. He talks to Ozzie. He also talks to the ownership um, and uh, Steve Bishotti. And so he comes back into the office and he says, Ah, you know, we, we just think that Ozzy thinks so and Steve, we, we all think that, that you'd be the best coordinator for us. And and I reiterated to him again. I said, you know, I don't know this offense as well, but if you want me to do it, and this was after some soul searching for about an hour or so talking to a couple of people that I trust and believe in. But what it boiled down to was um I walked into Ozzy's office afterwards and we were talking and and uh and, and Ozzy said to me, he said, Hey. He said, I said, I, I, said, I don't know this offense as well as some of these guys do. Uh, he said, well, I don't think it's necessarily what we're doing. He said, I think we need leadership. And I said, I, I can do that. And uh, so the rest is history. You know, we ended up certainly getting on a a tear and players played extremely well. Our defense was great. Our offense certainly didn't turn the ball over and did a tremendous job and all the way to the Super Bowl. So that more so than anything else, I think that's what I bring to a team. I bring the ability to bring guys together, to get them headed in the right direction. Uh, You you know, I'm one of those guys that um, oftentimes people will say I'm direct. Uh, I, I, I treat them with respect. Um, but I'm also demanding. And uh, and I think we get the best out of our guys. So that, that's that's what I think we bring to the, uh, you know any organization is leadership and direction. And uh, those are the things that I think are, that win consistently.
0: You know, it's interesting about the leadership and direction part. I remember talking to a general manager recently, and he was saying that as these teams are going to be looking for general managers here in the not too distant future, he was saying that so many times we think of identifying personnel and scouting players. And that's the route that teams go through when they hire a general manager. But he said, it's about so much more than that. It's about leadership. It's about problem solving. It's about Mm -hmm. all the skills that they're not really looking for when they hire a general manager, they're hiring a general manager because they feel like that person has helped draft all this great personnel trade for this great personnel, sign this great personnel for a team, and then the job, the GM job, or the coaching job is a little bit more broad and all-encompassing than
2: just those particular skills, if that makes any sense. No, it does make sense, and and you're absolutely right because of the fact that, number one, it's such a demanding position. Um, It's one that's going to – Bill McCartney had this this saying, he used to say, it's going to take all you have and a little bit more. Uh, and that's how daunting that task is in terms of being a GM or a head coach in the national football league, because you're dealing with so many different personalities. You're dealing with a lot of uh, high performance individuals. Uh, in some cases, you have some individuals that, that, that have, you know, ego issues. Uh, But all of them have egos, not all of them have ego problems, right? Um, And and you have to be able to deal with a staff and your staff is also extremely volatile. Sometimes you got to be able to control that aspect of it. And what happens is the guys that come in that are strictly X's and O's guys, um never have really thought about that or been put in place other than a coordinator spot but not the entire team where they have to look at things corporately or globally how they affect other people around them and such so they end up in that little cocoon and they end up having issues uh, when they have to go outside of that broad into that broad spectrum that's required of you as a, as a head football coach or a general manager but you would like to coach again is it that fair to say absolutely yeah i think in the right situation um you know and, and the right organization absolutely i'd be interested in it you know i still got a lot left you know when you, you know, most people say you're 65 years old yeah well we got a, we have two guys that one guy that's president of the United States right now that I think is seventy four and, and we have one that's going to be seventy eight when he takes office right uh, and and that's the most important job in the world so and there's a number of guys the last two guys I think that I remember that last two Super Bowls were won by guys that are over sixty five years of age so <laughs> so I think there's still a place uh, for a guy like Jim Caldwell well
0: you sixty nine Bill Belichick is I think about 66, 7, 8, something like that. Yeah. And so veteran coaches, there's something to be said for that experience. That Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Uh, I think he's yeah. 62. I think mm-hmm. he's 62. Yeah. But, Jim, you know, l- listen, Jim, you, 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 you've had this nice downtime. You've gotten to mentor these young men. You've gotten to learn these other things. You've gotten to really lose some weight. You want to go back to that lifestyle? <laughs> well you, well, you know what
2: it, it's something that you, you you i've always been the way I am in terms of hours working i you know I look at my dad there there was never a time when I was growing up that i don't remember my dad had two jobs uh he worked at general Motors for thirty five years but but he also owned his own little tire company um he also started up uh, worked at a place in Lake Ivanhoe with him and some buddies got a a hotel and restaurant bar that they built and they tried to get that going so he was always doing something so you know just I just happened to work one job with the same amount of hours that he put in but but i have always been accustomed to working uh, that's the way I saw my mom was a hard worker as a uh, you know she was supervisor of a nursing home and uh and I learned to work extremely hard And, you know that that's difference maker i think uh, hard work dedication and character You were let go
0: by the Colts in 2011, and you were let go by the Detroit Lions after the 2017 season. What is it like to be fired
2: as a head coach? Well, you you know, for me, it's not a big deal for me, Um, and it never has been, Adam. Uh, When I first started coaching uh, at Southern Illinois University, my very first job, we worked under one-year contracts. No one ever had a two-year contract, and it was that way for a long period of time until finally I think probably when I was at, uh, um might have been 1985, 86 or so, I was working for Howard Schnellenberger at Louisville. was the first time that I signed a multi-year contract. So those early years kind of taught me what I needed to know about the coaching profession, that you could be gone at any minute. And the thing that you have to do and believe in, that you work as hard as you can, do what you think is right. Right. Take counsel as you go along from people that have done it and done it well. Uh, and uh, let the ship's fall as they may. Uh, and if you happen to get fired along the way, pack your things up. I used to always I used to always make this statement when I was an assistant coach in college. I said, I can move out of my office in 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, with everything that I need, right? Because that's the way that I believe because it could happen to you at any point in time. And I've always kind of kept that in the back of my head. But I've never been nervous about being fired. I've never really feared being fired. Uh, and because uh, I know one thing, the Lord will take care of me and he always has. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when I've gotten fired from jobs, I ended up with in a better situation. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, but but I, I, coaching is more rewarding uh, than, than anything else that I think that uh, that I've ever done. So, how much
0: time have you spent the last couple of years watching the Lions and the NFL right now, Jim?
2: Yeah, I, I mean every single week. I now, go back um, when I was with Miami, um, and I ended up taking the leave. I was still actually consulting for them all the way up until February. I was under contract until February of twenty twenty. Yep. So during that time, I had access to all of the film in the league. Right, so I still have my computer. So I watched every every time I had an opportunity, I looked at a number of different teams and I'm doing an interesting thing and did an interesting thing as we go along here. Um, so I had access to all that film and, and then, you know, once I I ended up into my contract there, I've been able to work with some different individuals, young coaches that that Mm across the league and and some in college that have access to pro film. And what we do is I give them projects. And so they're able to go in, pull up some film. Like for example, we studied all of, um, Deshaun Watson's third downs, uh, throughout the entire year hit the last week so we looked at everything that he did on third down and just kind of analyzed it what was he looking at you know what was the situation here uh and you know obviously he's playing pretty well right now he's done a great job here the last few weeks but but we have different projects like that that we look at so i'm always studying trends I'm looking for changes. I'm looking for the things that they're doing. Obviously, with Kyler kind Murray of down, obviously, with Arizona to see exactly what they're doing, how they're being defended. Uh, can they be defended? Where are they catching up with them? So, each and every week, I kind of pick out a pocket that I'm looking for in terms of trends and I study it. But I'm always throughout the entire league, I got two guys that I, I kind of trained along the way in terms of clock, manage- ish, clock management issues. So, I'm always looking at the last two minutes of the first half and the last mm-hmm. two minutes of the game. And I have constant conversations with a number of young guys in the league about those areas.
0: What did you notice about Deshaun Watson on third down? Give me one thing that stood out to you there.
2: Well, you know, one of the things, and and I think, uh, first of all, he's doing a, a tremendous job and playing extremely well late Thursdays. Some pretty yeah. long third third long situations, but he does a lot with his feet. But he's also one of those guys that he has really good vision as well. And uh, and you know one of the things I, I think that all quarterbacks do is they, they press sometimes and they try to get do a little bit too much when he stays in his in his wheelhouse. He's hard to deal with hard to manage because of the fact that he is so explosive. Uh, sometimes with those explosive guys, they think they got to make it on every single play. It's not too bad to throw the ball away and let's tee it up again. Cause you know, 10 yards is nothing for you. You can scamper for 10, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, just, just don't try to do too much, but he is, he's, he's playing well right now. He's not trying to do too much. And I think he's carrying his team. And what'd you pick up about Kyler Murray in your studies on him, Jim? Yeah. We look at more schematically with them because of the fact that they're doing some things that obviously I think all of us are going to have to deal with in the league. Uh, and, and that is you, you're going to see here pretty soon, uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to come out and you're going to see him do a lot of things that he did in college. Uh, Joe Burrow came out, but it just so happened, obviously he, was running an offense that was run by a guy who had been in the National Football League, right? But but I'm looking for trends to see what, how those things translate and can a guy like that, how long can he last, right? And, and I think, obviously, they're showing you that mobile quarterbacks can last a long time, and, uh, and that's always going to be the issue. The more you run around, oftentimes you, you end up getting Banged around, you end up getting treated like a running back for the most part. Cam found that out, you know. Uh, hmm. A lot of big hits uh, on Cam throughout the years, but but nevertheless, he's still a very effective player. And like I said, for Arizona, we're looking at trends with them just in terms of what they're doing from a schematic standpoint. And they're not doing anything extremely unusual, um, but they're doing some things. Obviously, because he's pretty special.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Again, you mentioned also having that brief stint with Miami as the assistant head coach, quarterbacks coach before you did take that leave. What can you say about the job that Brian Flores has done? He's been tremendous, right? Like he right now, to me, would be in the running
2: for the coach of the year. There, there is no question about it. So when I got there, um, a lot of people were talking about, yo, well, you got Caldwell there to help you, you know, so on and so forth. It's a real smart move, all that kind of stuff. And I would tell those reporters when they asked me a question, well, what are you doing? How are you helping Brian? I said, look, this guy doesn't need a whole lot of help. It takes you all of about 30 minutes in his presence, okay, to see that this guy is going to be really good. And let me tell you why. Here's the thing that jumps out at you. Um, c- coaching requires you to be able to get individuals to do exactly what you want them to do and in your own way. Now, some guys, that's, you know, showing them from a methodical, pragmatic standpoint or hearing that things are going to help you improve. Other guys, you just kind of sense that they have a little bit of an edge to them that you don't know how to make certain. You don't – you don't really want to step out of line with this guy. That's right. Ryan. Brian's got a little edge to it. Okay. Smart, tough, great character. Uh, and, uh, and he can get those guys believing and doing exactly what he wants them to do. And, uh, uh, and, and so it's no surprise to me that he's doing well. And I think you, you are just seeing a little bit of what he has to offer. He's going to be tremendous. And would, would you say that being out of the
0: league the last couple of years, Jim, Studying what you have, do you think it's changed your offensive approach and perspective and ideas that if you were to come back, that you would do things in a different or modified way?
2: Oh, well, I think you always have to modify, but, but here's the thing that's always kind of driven my entire philosophy in terms of coaching. You have to adapt your offense to your personnel, okay? Uh, you hopefully will get the kind of guy that you want, but you got to adjust. For example, uh, when we went into Detroit, there was a pretty good nucleus of players there. So, why would I come in and change the nucleus? Got in Damian Sue, who's been playing, is, is a force, uh, right, on the inside, who's been playing in that particular position under 4 3. We had come from. Uh, Baltimore, Terrell Austin and I and Terrell had been running kind of that 3-4 kind of mix that Baltimore does and so I said, hey, listen, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to change that and we're going to make something that we run 4-3 and use the personnel that we have. That best suits us. We had uh, Stephen Tully. We had you know so many guys running around there doing a, a great job, uh, and all we need to do is give them a little bit of direction. Offensively, you know, you got a quarterback like Matthew, you got to find out what he does best. It took us a little bit, longer than I'd like to, in terms of finding out where he's best, but he's more suited to the can spread offense a little bit more, a little bit more one back. He's not a great, you know, I, when I say he's not a great two-back guy, he can play anything uh, any, or you know, any way in terms of offensive scheme, but I think he is more effective when you spread people out for him. Uh, he was extremely effective for us when we finally got things spread out a little bit more, and, uh, and he played extremely well. So, so the point is, I'm going to adapt it to the individuals that we have access to. And I think that's what you have to do. Oftentimes you find coaches that are trying to, 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 to fit a, you know, a, a, a round peg in a square hole, um, and, uh, which, is, which is to me is you waste a whole lot of time. And not only that, uh, you're going to get yourself fired in a very short period of time. It, it's a win-now league. Hmm.
0: Well, Jim, I would say this. It would be great if you were back in the league. I would like that. Other people would like that. The league would be better for it. It would be a great thing if it were to happen. Um, It's going to be a big month ahead here, and let's see how it plays out, but teams would be wise to sit down and talk with you. Um, I've said that to a couple people already, and let's see how this plays out here going forward, but it should be, I would think, a very intriguing month ahead. How How do you feel about the month ahead?
2: Yeah, I think um, you know, obviously exciting. And, and you know, I'm not wishing that anybody lose their job. You know, that's yeah. without question. That those yeah. are that, that's a tough time. I've been coaching for 44 years, and um, that that's a very difficult time on families, and um, it's just a lot of upheaval. But it's kind of part of the business as well. Um, so yeah I'm excited about it. there's a lot of good football being played right now I mean this past weekend was a great weekend for football uh, and, uh, and I think you're going to see more coming as well and particularly when you're dealing with the, you know obviously COVID-19 is changing things Denver having to go through what they went mm-hmm. through yesterday is unbelievable right but those are the kind of things where you're going to see people that have to adapt and have to adjust so yeah this month is going to be extremely exciting um, but the, obviously I think you're going to see some very difficult things sort of show up too. Baltimore is going through a very tough time right now now. So, um, so hopefully, you know, uh, there'll be some jobs open that uh, perhaps they'll have an interest in me and I'd be really interested as
0: well. Hmm. Hey, Jim, I really appreciate taking time today. It's great to connect again and to hear your voice. And I hope I get to hear and see more of you in the future.
2: Well, thanks a lot, Adam. I appreciate appreciate everything you do for our sport. Too. You do a tremendous job with informing uh, you know, the, the, the things that are going on in the league, the public, uh, those individuals that might not get as close to it as you do. Uh, you have great knowledge, and, and you've helped a lot of people in our business. So I want to, to thank you for that, and, uh, and you're much appreciated.
0: Jim, I appreciate you. We will be in touch, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. And so there is the former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts from 2009 through 2011. Former head coach of the Detroit Lions from 2014 through 2017, and a man who I believe will be a head coach again, Jim Codwell. And there also was some other news this past week in the NFL. How about the 49ers, if we're talking about events on a human level, being displaced to Arizona for potentially the final five weeks of the season? Now, again, they're athletes, they're coaches, a lot of money, a lot of notoriety. But how about this? At some point this week, the 49ers will leave for Arizona, December. There's a real chance that they will not return to the Bay Area until the season wraps up in January. So that means that while everybody is enjoying the holidays and enjoying the new year, the 49ers will be in Arizona practicing, trying to get one of those last wildcard spots in the NFC because Santa Clara County. Has basically ruled that contact sports cannot be played or practiced in that area, despite the fact that people at the NFL level have believed and maintained and researched that there's been no evidence of transmission from contact in games. And so Santa Clara County knows something that the NFL, with its infinite resources, doesn't and has caused the 49ers to move to Arizona. And again, just one more sacrifice in a season of sacrifices. I went to training camp. I used to go to training camp with the Broncos for about three weeks each summer. And back when I was single, I actually really loved it because I'd be by myself for three weeks with nothing to do but work, nothing. But now that I'm married with children, I can't imagine going for three, no less five, no less to an area that I couldn't drive home from. And would have to fly home from only I can't fly home because it's the pandemic and you can't do that in the nfl world it's against the rules and so for five weeks over the holidays in the new year you're not allowed to see your family that's what the 49ers are about to go through that's what that team is about to embark upon and again much respect to the 49ers for doing what they are about to all right on to our next podcast guest Joining us now, my friend, my colleague, the great Evan Kaplan. And Evan, we are on to week 13 almost. We are finished with week 12 almost. It's a sign of the times that we're living in here in 2020. But we've got some great things on tap for this coming week. And as we record this on Tuesday morning, Mm -hmm. the Pittsburgh Steelers still are scheduled to play the Baltimore Ravens on Wednesday afternoon. And what a weird sentence that is. And the league continues to push that game back in hour increments or so. And we'll assume that the game is played for now, unless we get noticed during this taping, of course, that it's been postponed yet again. But it does seem to be at this point in the season that whether or not that game is even played, the Pittsburgh Steelers and Kansas City Chiefs seem to be on a collision course in the AFC to meet in the AFC championship game. What are we to make of those two teams and what now would seem like a looming battle between them?
3: Absolutely. So even taking out whatever happens in the Steelers next game, they're 10-0. We we know that's a fact. The Chiefs are 10-1. and 1. So when you look at history, it's only the seventh time since the AFC and NFC were formed in 1970 that two teams from the same conference – Won at least 10 of their first 11 games. So that's already happened, regardless of what happens with the Steelers in the next few games. We know that to be true. Now, in four of those previous six instances where two teams from the same conference got off to starts like that, they met in the conference championship. Four of the previous six. Most recent was in 2018 in the NFC with the Rams and the Saints, who, of course, played that memorable game with the missed pass interference in New Orleans. A win against the Ravens or Washington, whenever their next game is, I guess we should say. would we'll also make the Steelers a 13th team in the Super Bowl era to start 11 I'm bringing this one back from last week because we didn't have a game played. History says that gives them a solid chance of getting to Tampa. Nine of the previous 12 reached the Super Bowl. So I think the historical significance shows us that two teams in the same conference getting off to starts like this certainly may put them on a collision course, like we said in the AFC. I think this season has shown us, Mm-hmm. that anything can happen in the NFL. But these two teams have been overly impressive. And I think you, you almost forget about the Steelers a little bit because of their schedule situation. But what the Chiefs have done, what the Chiefs have done just the last few weeks, and it, it, it almost, when you watch Patrick Mahomes in that first half against the Bucks, you wonder how anybody ever stops him. Mm-hmm.
0: And we're going to get to Mahomes in a moment. And let me just say yeah. this before we wrap up the Chiefs-Steelers thoughts. I could see the Buffalo Bills giving one of those teams a game. Mm -hmm. I could see the Tennessee Titans giving one of those teams a game. Maybe the Raiders who have already played with the chiefs could give one of those teams a game, but it'd be hard for anybody to argue that the chiefs and Steelers at this time are not the class of the AC. You mentioned Patrick Mahomes. We'll get to watch him again on Sunday night. We can't watch him enough because every time he's out there, he does something that you feel like you haven't seen before. Guy is incredible. He's the best player in football, bar on. I know Dalvin Cook is tremendous. I know that Kyler Murray is outstanding. Josh Allen's coming on. Aaron Rodgers is special, and we'll get to Aaron Rodgers in a moment. But Patrick Mahomes is in another class. What will we get to see when we watch him Sunday night under the lights against the Denver Broncos?
3: One of the great things I think about not just football but all sports is the best players – play at their top level when when everybody's watching right whether it's a primetime game a playoff game a big game last week like late in the afternoon against tom brady and the buccaneers and patrick mahomes embodies that in prime time he's won seven straight primetime games as they face the broncos on sunday night in kansas city including the most recent one in week 11 with that last minute comeback against the raiders in vegas some of his best moments have been in prime time. You go back to the left-handed pass in Denver in 2018, mm-hmm. a Monday night football record, six touchdown passes against the Rams in that 54-51 crazy game, a nearly flawless four touchdown performance at the Ravens in week three, that game that we hyped up so much uh, with Lamar Jackson and, and, and Mahomes earlier this season. His last seven primetime games, he's 7-0. and He's got 15 touchdown passes. He has two interceptions. He plays he plays at his best when everybody is watching. He has 30 touchdown passes and two interceptions this season. It would be in my opinion a major upset at this point if he doesn't win his second NFL MVP. Well,
0: what about Aaron Rodgers? What about Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, yeah. Evan?
3: Yep, absolutely. I I still think it's I think it's Mahomes to lose right now, but it will be very interesting down the stretch. And I think the MVP race is something that you know, we talk about a lot on Monday Night Countdown, and it's always a great discussion. And we've got a fun one this year. You've got two guys playing at their top level. Russell Wilson is trying to stay in that race as well, but maybe his individual numbers, certainly from an interception standpoint, aren't as good. Uh, Rodgers is right there. I give it to Mahomes right now.
0: Well, I, we bring up Rodgers, right? And we are now in the month of December officially, and the year has in one way flown by, and in another way been the slowest year of all of our lives. Well said. Uh, it's been an, a wild year, but we are in December, and Aaron Rodgers, in December, thrives like Santa Claus. Give me a breakdown of what we see from that guy in this month.
3: Yeah, best quarterback in NFL history, certainly at home in the in the year's final month. So he's 19-3 at home in December in his career. He just Dominates teams at Lambeau. It's the best record by any quarterback with at least 20 home December starts. His overall numbers in those games at Lambeau are insane. 48 touchdown passes, five interceptions. Over 22 starts at home in November. It's amazing. He faces the Eagles as they come off their Monday night loss this week. So I think, and Adam, as we tie these two quarterbacks together, what's most impressive to me and I think you see this now more than ever, is these quarterbacks being able to throw such a high number of touchdowns without throwing interceptions. They, their efficiency is off the charts in terms of 30 touchdowns, two interceptions for Mahomes, as I mentioned. This year, 33 touchdown passes, four interceptions mm. for Rodgers. Rodgers has done this the last few years where he's gone like 25-2 and 26-4. He just – the the ability for these guys to – if they don't, if they don't have the play, they're not forcing it. They're not throwing interceptions, giving it to the other team. That that to me is just remarkable, and feels like that's changed more with those guys than we've seen in years past, where their efficiency while also throwing what will be this year for both of them, likely forty touchdowns.
0: What's interesting to me is if we go back to last spring, Packers using their first round draft pick on Jordan Love, and there were a lot of people that made a lot of that pick, and rightfully so. I mean, it was again a wild pick, but I think that that pick motivated Aaron Rodgers and I also think it helped bring him and the head coach Matt LaFleur, who now pronounces his last name Matt (laughs) LaFleur, it brought them closer together. Mm -hmm. Because if you watch them interact on the sideline, it looks like there's a real healthy respect. And a lot of people might not have thought that Aaron Rodgers would have felt that way. And I think that that pick with Matt LaFleur was not something that he was all that in favor of at that time. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, I think that their relationship has benefited both men and that organization and has made Aaron Rodgers the MVP that we're talking about and thrust him into a role in which he is absolutely shining. And then there are two other absolutely. players. Who Adam, starting.
3: one more thing. One more thing on Rodgers, because I think it's a great point you make. And the other night when they played the Bears, I believe it was the last touchdown of Robert Tunyon, Rodgers, The second that pass was completed, and they and they pan back to him on the shot. You see him looking right over at the sideline, pointing at his head coach. He they are on the city. We saw that earlier in the season too. I think that shows it all—the fact that he he know he he and Lafleur are on the exact same page, and I, he's just been a joy to watch this year.
0: And you know, what? by the way, Lafleur in his postgame press conference thanked Aaron Rodgers for getting him out of certain plays that he called that were incorrect. Right. And so, again, if you don't admire Aaron Rodgers enough for his play, then you appreciate him even more from sparing you from some bad play calls. So it's gone both ways for those guys. And it's been a tremendous relationship and partnership, and I would imagine it will be continuing to go forward. And then I started to tell you, mention – there are two other guys this year two other players who are just lighting it up and it's two of the three best running backs in the league who we say the two the best running backs in the league this year Dalvin Cook mm-hmm. Derrick Henry yep. Nick Chubb right am, am I missing anybody I don't want to exclude anybody
3: no I think I think that's fair I mean Chubb missed some time so he's not as high on the rushing list I mean I don't know if you want to throw Josh Jacobs in there who's had a Alvin, Camaro, Alvin Camaro Alvin Camaro belongs with yeah in Camaros there. the other one I think
0: yeah, he belongs in there. But, okay, but anyway, we got Derrick Henry and Chubb squaring off, not against each other, but on the same field this Sunday. What do we make of that matchup?
3: Yeah, this is fun, and this is almost the opposite of what we're talking about with with Rodgers and Mahomes and the 2020 age of passing. This is old-school football. This is run the ball. This is, this is the defense knows that we're going to run it, and we're still going to run it down your throat. That's how kind of both of these teams feel. I'm really looking forward to this game. Two, eight, and three teams between the Browns and the Titans. Uh, And last year, really interesting circumstances where Derrick Henry won the rushing title. He beat out Nick Chubb on his final rush of the season. Nick Chubb had the lead until a 53-yard touchdown from Derrick Henry late in the Titans' Week 17 game against the Texans, gave him the number one spot. Now Derrick Henry again leads the NFL in rushing. Nick Chubb, as I mentioned, missed some time, but he's averaging 6.3 yards per carry, most among running backs this season. So, this is a really interesting game. The Browns have kind of played some inferior opponents over the last few weeks, get them to eight and three. The winner of this game is nine and three. And as we circle back to how we started talking about the Chiefs and the Steelers, I think the winner of this game, especially if it's the Titans, because we saw them do it last year, I think some people will start to think okay, maybe if this team plays the Chiefs or the Steelers on a cold day, these teams can both run the ball. These teams could certainly keep it close against those top AFC contenders.
0: Hey, Evan, appreciate your time and your insights this week. Thank you very much. We'll see you in studio on Monday for a doubleheader, the second game being on ESPN, Buffalo at Arizona, at San Francisco, whatever that is in the year 2020. (laughs) But I think it comes down to the Bills playing the 49ers in Arizona which, again, is part of the oddities of this season that continue on. Thanks very much. Have a great week, and we'll see you Monday night.
3: Sounds good, Adam. See you then.
0: And it should be an excellent week 13. And before we start off, I just wanted to add one thing. When we do ESPN Sunday NFL Countdown on Sunday, and I wrap up the show about 12.50, 12.55, and I'm now doing the show at home these days, which I've never done before in the past, there are few times in the week. In fact, there's no time in the week. That I enjoy more than at about 1255 on Sunday, when the show's over, I go into my kitchen, I make myself lunch, and I walk into the next room to sit down in front of three TVs at one o'clock to watch football. The feeling at one o'clock on a Sunday is the best. It is the adult equivalent of Christmas morning for a kid. That's what it is. You sit down, you put on the TVs, you put on the games, you know that you're about to witness some crazy things, whatever it may be. I don't know whether it's Daniel Jones pulling his hamstring. I don't know whether it's Tyreek Hill going nuclear. I don't know whether it's Aaron Rodgers lighting up the Bears. But it's sitting down to watch 13 games, or however many it is on that particular Sunday, to see your fantasy football team either break your heart Will provide you with some exhilarating moments but that feeling at one o'clock on Sunday that there is that there are there are a few things like that. I just I just love that feeling. Man it makes you look forward to every single week. All right that's today's podcast. I want to thank my first guest the former Colts and Lions head coach Jim cobwell the ESPN analytics guru Evan Kaplan my great producer Christina Buswell and you the listener for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. When we'll be back with more information, insight, as we look back at week 13 and look ahead to week 14. And until then, have a great week. Be well, stay safe.
1: Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt.